Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me as always is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, our continued coverage of Winnipeg's Vital Signs 2017. Today's focus will be on the topic of families. Up first, one of the most devastating conditions that families have to deal with is dementia and Alzheimer's disease. We're going to be speaking with Norma Kirkby of the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba about their dementia-friendly communities program. Then, we didn't forget about our four-legged family members either. We'll be joined by John Hutton and Carmen Villalfour of the John Howard Society of Manitoba to learn about how its canine healing services program is helping participants break down barriers to employment and gain important skills. We'll also hear from one of the co-founders of the Meet Me at the Bell Tower initiative, Jenna Wersch. She recently accepted the Joe Zukin Memorial Award at the recent State of the Inner City event right here in Winnipeg. And last but not least, we'll also have a story from citizen reporter Armand Martin about the Franck Parleur Toastmasters group and learn more about how it's helping participants gain confidence when public speaking in English and in French. We've got all these stories, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell and Robert Zirk, your family of the day. Are we a family, Rob? Would you say we're a radio family now? We've been doing this for three years. I think so. I think it's safe to say that we are a family, and today's show is going to be focused a little bit on families and the importance of uh, mental health, the importance of the four-legged fr- canine-friendly family family members. I garbled that up a little bit, but dogs. Do, have you ever had pets in your family? I did, yeah. I uh, had a dog growing up. What was it like? I've never had a pet, believe it or not. Wow. I know, weird. Every time I tell anyone that, they're like, what? Yeah. But no, I just never was in charge of another life other than my own. Hmm. How about you? What was um, it like having a dog? uh, It was great. Um, You know, it's nice to, uh, it's it's just nice to have an animal around um, and to, you know, be able to take the dog out into the backyard and throw the ball around and yeah it's just it's just a nice uh it's a nice presence it's like having a little brother that can't speak english almost because i had a little brother that i was responsible for but not so much a dog so i'm interested to hear about this canine healing services program uh, from the john howard society of manitoba that's going to be coming up a little bit later in the show um coming up first i think we're going to be speaking with norma kirkby she is from the alzheimer society of manitoba we're going to be talking about Uh, just sort of the effect that Alzheimer's and dementia can have on families as well as on uh, communities that are uh, in here here in Winnipeg Um, but I guess today's show is the is this the last show before Christmas before we this is this is episode 51 of our third season Uh, the most um, number of episodes that we've ever done in a year uh, in a in a particular season pretty exciting Um, so this is our last new one for the year we're going to take the next couple weeks off to plan for season four kind of take a little bit of a break um, but we have, uh, we're, g- we're going to pre-record some, I uh, look best back. Ofs. Yeah. The best ofs of the year. Well, best of is a little bit subjective, but we're, it's I the would best. say. They're the best. <laughs> I would say at the very least, these are the, some of the stories that stood out to us, uh, the most. And, uh, so it'll be nice to take a look back. It's kind of amazing how many stories and how many wonderful people we've had the chance to speak with yeah. just over the course of a year. Definitely. So this is the last show of the year, but, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna play some music. That's all holiday, wonderful holiday tunes for you. We're going to kick things off with uh, a little Frankie Avalon with gingerbread right here on River City 360. <laughs> Oh, 
kind of naughty, but you're naughty and I say gingerbread, 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 you're full of sugar, you're full of spice, you're kind of naughty, but you're naughty and nice, my heart does crazy, it's time I'm with you, but your mama says you're much too young today, we meet on the corner and we share a kiss or two, how long did your mama think we'd wait, wait, wait? Gingerbread, 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 gingerbread. You're full of sugar, you're full of spice. You're kind of naughty, but you're naughty and nice. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. And we're now joined in studio by Norma Kirkby. She's the program director at the Alzheimer Society here in Manitoba. Norma, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us in today, Nolan. Well, we're here to talk about dementia-friendly communities, and that's a program that was recently launched by the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba. So let's talk a little bit about what this program aims to do and, and why, why you guys decided to launch it. Well, first off, I'd like to thank the Winnipeg Foundation for its support of our project. It is because of that support that we're able to move some things forward. Why is this project important? It's important because as there are a greater number of people living with dementia and more of them living in community than in care settings, it's important for the community to adapt and adopt programming such that the person can find their place in community, still remain active, still stay engaged in things that they've always enjoyed. What's known is that often as people are living with this disease that they start dropping out of things or community organizations think, well, maybe they can't do it and don't include them. And so our initiative is about stimulating community to understand the disease, to understand how to include people, and then to motivate people with dementia and their care partners to get out there and participate. I would imagine that drop-off probably makes everything worse, right? Because you want to be engaged and you want to remain active and you want to kind of keep going. So how, how does what are the barriers that keep this stigma from, from keeping people down? Like how, how, can we, how can we eliminate some of that stigma? Well, first off, I'd like to comment that one of the things that changes for people with dementia is their ability to initiate things. And so often uh, the socialization, the being out that's so important for just general quality of life, they may not have the ability to initiate, to, to choose and to start on their own. And so it's so important for others to believe that a person with dementia can participate, can do, and therefore say, come with me, let's go, or 
uh, initiate a program that makes it easier for the person to participate. We know that this disease of dementia does bring changes to the person's life, and that we cannot deny. But the thing is, is that we as the cognitively well population need to be willing to adapt what we're doing so that it's meaningful for people with dementia to participate, so it's easier for them to find their place, i.e., if a person has been playing cards with you, they'd probably still like to do that, but they're not going to phone and set up the appointment. Right. So Even though they used to, potentially. That's right? right. They used to do that, but now, well, they're not phoning, and so people think, oh, they don't want to do it. Well, really, if you mm. get them there, the long-held long skills stay intact, and they can play a pretty mean game of cards. For sure. But they need somebody to be the one to include them, to bring them forward, and then to not get all in a snit if they don't follow the rules perfectly. Right, for sure. So when, when you're encouraging community and encouraging these togetherness, is that a way of reducing the, the severity of symptoms potentially? Or is that like, I don't want to make an ignorant question here, but is there... Is reducing the stigma and being able to include people in things that they used to do going to potentially slow the slow the um, the disease the disease pr progression, or is it is 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 what's the best way that we can go about sort of making their lives uh, continue to be like livable in a in a happy sense? Well, first off, anything that is positive and brain engaging can have potential of making a difference in the course of okay. the disease. But we cannot say that because somebody was included in community in a different way than maybe they would have been otherwise, mm -hmm. that it will change the course of the disease. This is a disease that once it starts, it just moves forward. Mm -hmm. And currently, science hasn't found a way oh. to turn it back. But what we know that makes the greatest difference for people is them to feel good about themselves. Mm -hmm. And part of what comes... Uh, from being included in community and doing things with people, being active, whether it's physically active, uh, socially active, doing things that cause them to use the brain capacity as it stands for them, will cause them to feel good about themselves. And I just think about an, a, an event I was at last night where individuals with dementia just had glowing faces because they had participated, they had had a good time, and they were saying, this makes me feel wonderful, and I look forward to coming to this. Right. Do they remember all the details of it later in the week? Maybe some do, some do not. But they knew inside that being out, being with others, doing things that they enjoyed made a difference and caused them to glow. And it improves that quality of life regardless. Right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. So is that the a big part of the reason of why this program was launched is just to improve the quality of life for those living with dementia? Very much so. Yeah. The Dementia Friendly Communities Project can reach out and work at it from both ends. It can number one encourage people with dementia to still participate in the community but even more importantly it says to the community think about how to reinvent yourself so that people with dementia can be part of you so that they will feel at home there. So through the Dementia Friendly Communities Project to date, some of the things that we've done is that we have worked with the Manitoba Multi-Faith Council talking about how to be uh, more equipped 
volunteers in spiritual care programs. At the same time, we also talked with those people because they come from churches, synagogues across the city about how can you make your church more uh, dementia-friendly, more accepting of people. And some of that is as simple as making sure that people within a, a congregation or faith group understand the disease and understand how to communicate with people with dementia so that when a person with dementia is at the church or attending the congregation, that they can um, feel welcome and still maintain some of their prior roles, i.e., were they part of the coffee crew? Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? Maybe they can't organize it on their own, but don't believe they can't participate. Right. Somebody else had it up and have them be part of your committee as opposed to being the committee head. Other things like that that we've done, though, is worked with businesses talking about how do you um, engage your clerks, your front-end staff, to be patient when somebody's struggling with their money. Or if it is a hairdresser, how do you explain to the person what's going to happen mm -hmm. in the course of the haircut and hair treatment so that they're not frightened when right. scissors are near their right. face. Like It gets very elemental, the kinds of things we talk about with community. But when the hairdresser is more equipped mm -hmm. and when the person with dementia goes for service at that shop, that person will be more relaxed. The family will see this as a positive thing. The family will say, let's take mom there more right. often sure. as opposed to uh, believing that mom's well-being and mom's sense of I like to be dressed up right. has to be inhibited by mm. she doesn't like going to the hairdresser. For sure. So it's good business sense for people to be uh, educated and informed oh, about what, what's the proper protocol. That's right. It's good community sense. It's good business sense. We are speaking with Norma Kirkby of the Alzheimer Society of Manitoba. And after our next musical break, I'll ask her uh, what you should do if you start to notice symptoms of dementia in your friends or in your family. Uh, but first, here's Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow by Ella Fitzgerald right here on RC360. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow It doesn't show signs of stopping And I've brought some corn for popping The lights are turned way down low Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow When we finally kiss goodnight How I'll hate going out in the storm But if you really hold me tight All the way home I'll be warm The fire is slowly dying and my dear, we're still goodbyeing. But as long as you love me so, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow.
satisfactful, for the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It doesn't show signs of stopping, and I brought some corn for popping. The lights are turned way down low. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. When we finally kiss goodnight, how I'll hate going out in the storm. But if you'll really hold me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. The fire is slowly dying, and my dear, we're still goodbye. But as long as you love me so, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today, and we are speaking with Norma Kirkby of the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba. What is a a big takeaway that the average person can do uh, if they may be dealing with someone with dementia in the future? Well, I would say if you are a family member and you're seeing someone having changes in their initiative, changes in their ability to process information or to communicate or understand what is communicated to them, well, for sure, be in touch with your medical community because there could be other health concerns that are driving the difficulties. But in general, if you're seeing those things, it's important to report them and let the medical community tease out what's really going on. Then beyond that, we really recommend to care partners, so immediate family members, the more extended family, the community, understanding that people with dementia are people. They are just like us. You know what? They get up in the morning wanting the best day possible the way you and I do, Nolan. Well, beyond that then, how do we communicate with them? How do we normalize our interactions? Sometimes it's tempting for people to just stand back and not be engaged. Well, you know what? The best thing to do is go up and say hi. Introduce yourself if the person is having difficulty in remembering at a level where they don't know your name. Hi, I'm Norma. It's really good to see you. How are you doing today? Tell me about. And use some really uh, basic, open-ended questions to engage in conversation with the person because being acknowledged is what we all crave. Mm Being acknowledged is what's important for people with dementia as well. And so doing that basic human, loving, caring interaction is crucial to well-being for this group. And that's what a, what a good community is, is inclusiveness and informed and just everyone cares about each other and takes care of one another. You know, it takes a village, they say, uh, that's, right? That's right. You know, we've often applied that phrase to children. But as we know that approximately one quarter of the people with dementia, live in the community and alone, okay, without a spouse or partner or other family, you know, they're not living in multi-generational settings. It takes the rest of us to be watchful, to be caring. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a skill, but at the same time, it's a very doable skill. And the more you do it, the easier it probably becomes too. totally, yes. So if people listening are curious about the Dementia Friendly Communities Program or just want to get in touch with the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba, how can they get in touch with you? Well, the thing to do is uh, give us a phone call. That's the easiest because then what we do is we begin that conversation about what kind of group or business are you? What kind of organization? 
And what is it that you are noticing about your way of reaching out to the public and people with dementia and their family care partners? And I'll come back to the family care partners part of this in a minute. And then from there, we we just say, how can we help you um, re-envision your service. It's kind of like a custom for each it's, business. It's or a each custom thing. That's right. And we ask a series of questions that really are organic. They're not a set set mm-hmm. by any means that leads us to understanding the challenges the group faces or understanding why they're concerned today. Do they have a membership that is experiencing dementia? Or do they have a membership that are the care partners of people with dementia? I'm going to go down that road for a moment. One of the things that we know is that for any individual who's living with dementia, there is a minimum of two care partners involved. One might be a spouse or someone living with the person, but a minimum of two people are assisting that person to do the tasks around living. Do you just mean on average, or that's what it's required to take care of? Uh, they, they say statistically okay. there's a minimum of two. Gotcha. There are some situations where there's a whole big right. family surrounding. There are some people that there's only one. Right. And then the load is, is quite heavy for, for that sure. one person. But what we know is that very often having the community meet the needs of the care partner will help the care partner meet the needs of the person. Right. So, you know, an example would be if a person were uh, doing volunteer driving. Okay, you're volunteer driving for a couple where the one person has dementia, the other's the care partner. Well, you know, it might be that both of those people have some changes in health status because of their age, one cognitive, the other physical. Mm-hmm. So now as the volunteer, it's not just about saying we're going to get you there and drop you off. It's about saying, now do you need some assistance to help the person get safely to the curb? Do you need me to be available on my phone so that when you're needing to be picked up again, that I can I can know, so I'm there for you. Because one of the things that we know is care partners care Mm 24-7, and they get tired. No kidding. And so if we can help them be dementia-friendly to their needs, it will also give quality of life to the person they support. It seems like this program uh, has to be flexible, and it has to understand that every single situation is different because every patient is different and every caretaker is different right that's right that's right well thank you very much for the conversation today um this is very informative and if anyone out there is curious about more information from the alzheimer society you can go to alzheimer.mb.ca that's correct and norma kirkby is the program director for the alzheimer society of manitoba thank you so much for talking to us today really appreciate your time thanks for letting us come in Thanks, Nolan. And coming up after the break, today's show is focusing on the Winnipeg Vital Signs topic of families. And we didn't forget that dogs are part of the family, too. And so some of them, some of us have dogs as pets. Others actually have dogs that are not only companions, but they're service dogs as well. And they can help people through things like anxiety and PTSD, which is what the Canine Healing Services Program 
trains dogs to do. Um, this is a program through the John Howard Society of Manitoba, along with Megan Search and Rescue. They've kind of teamed up, and uh, we'll learn a little bit more about that program and uh, how it's helping not only, you know, not only are there dogs that are being trained to help people with PTSD, um, but also it's helping uh, people find employment who usually face a lot of barriers, uh, maybe a bit of stigma as well. So, um, you know, it's a really great program. We're happy to sh- have the chance to share that story, and we're going to hear about that right after this short break. But before we get to that, we're going to hear Jingle Bell Rock. Brenda Lee, continuing our holiday music theme right here on River City 360. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bell swing and jingle bell ring. Snowing and blowing up bushels of fun. Now the jingle hop has begun. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bells chime in jingle bell time. Dancing and prancing in Jingle Bell Square In the frosty air What a bright time It's the right time To rock the night away Jingle Bell time Is a swell time To go gliding in a one-horse sleigh Giddy up, jingle horse Jingle your feet Jingle around the clock Welcome to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by John Hutton and Carmen Vielfor. They are the executive director and the coordinator of the Canine Healing Services Program, respectively, at the John Howard Society of Manitoba. We're going to learn a little bit more about the organization today and learn a little bit more about the Canine Healing Services Program. Thank you so much, John and Carmen, for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you very much. So first of all, John, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the John Howard Society and what it does here in the province of Manitoba. We work with men who've been incarcerated, uh, maybe coming out of custody. Uh, We have a reintegration program, literacy services. Uh, We now have a service dog training program, canine healing services, and uh, we run a bail program as well where we supervise and support men on bail in the community. One of our program areas is um, our reintegration department. And so we 
have a number of supports. We already had a number of supports in place that would help people reintegrate, uh, be supported. And one way of reintegrating when you're coming out of jail or custody is to be able to find employment so you can support yourself. And so we um, had the idea, actually, I had my dog at work with me one day in the office, and we were joking about how, you know, staff and clients would ask after the dog before they'd ask after me. He was more popular than I was. And that just led a conversation to uh, the topic of service dogs and how beneficial they could be. And then the idea came about maybe we could look at developing our own capacity as an organization to train service dogs specifically for those with PTSD. As the project develops a little further down the road, we'd like to try and target those who might have PTSD because they have been held in or worked in a correctional center. And um, so that would be our target group for service dogs in future. And so how how exactly does the program operate? Carmen, can you speak to that? So right now it starts off with a community agency making a referral for one of their clients. So it does have to be, again, because that's our mandate, you know, um, male involved in the criminal justice system. That can sometimes date back to 20 years ago, right? Um, There's no time limit. So it starts with that referral, and then they sign on to be a volunteer with McGon Search and Rescue with George Leonard. That's kind of um, our that is our partner throughout this program. He's the expert with the dog training. So they volunteer for about six weeks, and then what happens if they're interested, if they think it's a good fit, then they pretty much apply for a position as a student trainer. And then I interview them, and then I've selected three out of the pool of volunteers. And then the training itself, once they become students, will take up to two years. It sounds like that's a a way that they're able to be employed and to have something that's meaningful and that'll provide them with skills that they can use to further either continue with that or, or maybe continue on further in another direction. Yeah, absolutely. So it creates those employability skills. And then on top of that, it just it's great to develop some of those pro-social skills that we always want to encourage with our clientele. They're surrounded by positive peers and role models, and they're supported throughout the whole thing um, by me as a coordinator. So if ever there's obstacles like substance abuse or just wanting to work on assertive communication or something like that, I'm always on hand to help out with that. The program, uh, as you mentioned, is a partnership with Magon Search and Rescue. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that partnership and how did that partnership come together? Actually, it was suggested to us by um, someone that worked here at the Winnipeg Foundation. And I believe that Megan Search and Rescue was uh, supported at one point in terms of its startup by the Winnipeg Foundation. And I was having a conversation uh, with one of the staff here and said, we've got this great idea. And they said, well, you got to talk to George Leonard. you got to talk <laughs> to George. He's, he's the expert. And so Marie actually brokered the introduction. And I did talk to George. We met with him. And we uh, were able to develop an idea which uh, we we put together in a proposal. And so Megan Search and Rescue is going to allow us over three or four years, perhaps even four to five years, to develop our own capacity so that eventually uh, we might be employing our own, we would be employing our own trainers to train our own dogs, which we would be selling and, and having some revenue from. And it's just wonderful working with them. And George, is just so fantastic and, and all their their volunteers and their dogs are great and and they're very open about this they would like to help us mm-hmm. get this capacity and they're just doing everything they can to assist us and so 
right now our folks are working very closely with their dogs and their trainers Mm -hmm. um, and over time you know they'll start getting more confidence and ability and skill and we'll have dogs for them to work with and we'll start separating the two training programs a bit more Mm -hmm. but um, it's definitely a long-term collaboration and Megan Search and Rescue are going to be providing the training for our trainers going forward and also the dogs themselves are certified according to standards that Megan Search and Rescue has developed. Carmen, can you give us sort of an idea of the participation in the program? How many people take part? And can you give us an idea of who is chosen to uh, to take part in the program and what some of the challenges that they face specifically might be? So we just started up in September, so it's brand, brand new. Um, so we got about seven intakes. And then through that, we started off with, I think, about five volunteers. And then over the six weeks, that kind of weeded out to four. All four were interested in in becoming student trainers, but like I said, I could only pick three. Um, So that was definitely a challenge. But I saw a lot of growth just within the six weeks, just in terms of their socialization and their comfort levels and their self-esteem. I think it really empowers a person when they can do something that they they really enjoy and they feel good about themselves and they feel good about their work that they're putting into it. Um, So even just within the six weeks, I I saw a lot of confidence grow with each participant. So that was great to see. Are um, some of those participants considering staying on in the program or do they have plans to pursue different employment? Yeah, no, all three that I've selected um, are the the plan is for them to complete the course. They're doing an online course right now and then they'll be doing some hands on training with George Leonard. Um, And it is their plan for them to complete the whole uh, two year course and then hopefully they can start training dogs for us. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the dogs that take part? I can try to speak to that. <laughs> yeah. So MSAR and George Leonard train dogs for all sorts of purposes, everything from autism and anxiety to tactical. But we're looking at post-traumatic stress injury. That, I think, takes about one year to fully to train to get the dog certified because they do have to go through testing and everything. Um, but when we go for training sessions, uh, we usually go to the mall or uh, been to sometimes like grocery stores, stuff like that, just really public places to try and get the dog acclimated and get them used to a lot of distractions happening around them, but keeping their focus on their owner. Um, so it's pretty cool to see these dogs at work when someone gets overwhelmed or anxious or... Uh, whatever it might be, or if they're triggered by any sort of sound or noise that it triggers their trauma. Um, It's really cool to see the dog at work, and it just kind of brings focus for the person so that they can um, just focus on the dog and try and regulate themselves and just process what's going on. Yeah, so it kind of slows down their thinking a little bit. What does a a grant from the Winnipeg Foundation for this program mean to the program and to the John Howard Society? If it wasn't for the funding for the from the Winnipeg Foundation, we wouldn't have been able to to launch this program. It's been um, absolutely fundamental and and uh, will be fundamental to any success we have going forward. We were able to line up some additional sources of funding as well, but the Winnipeg Foundation is forming the core 
of of the support for the program right now. So it's uh, it's made it all possible at this point, and um, we're very grateful for that mm-hmm. support and uh, delighted to see so many people involved in the program already starting their training. And we're also looking forward to getting a business plan and a marketing plan with the funding provided by the Winnipeg Foundation this year. So we have a better sense of how we need and will want to develop this as a business going forward. We're a not-for-profit. We're a social service agency, a not-for-profit, a registered charity. So running a, a business, even a social purpose enterprise, something that, that is operating to perform as a social purpose rather than, than just to bring in a source of money, that's new to us. So we are very grateful to have the support for the marketing and the business plan as well because, you know, the, this uh, project is going to take us in, in new directions as an organization, and we're looking forward to that. But the plan will help us uh, find our way, and that's something that we're uh, receiving as a result of support from the Winnipeg Foundation. And it's great to hear that the uh, program has been such a success, even in such a short time. With this sort of being the pilot of the program, what comes next after the pilot is completed? Well, this first year, um, we want to be able to review the marketing and the um, business plan and, and to start taking some very concrete steps towards you know, achieving the ultimate goal of, of having an independent, self-supporting enterprise, a social enterprise uh, around training of the dogs. I think in this first year, we were looking to have three people begin their training uh, within six months, and that's, uh, that's absolutely happened. And uh, we're going to see some results before the initial funding runs out. We will um, have some people well along in terms of the training. And I think... Probably the next step is would be to start looking at um, purchasing our own dogs and beginning to train puppies with the support, of course, of Megan Search and Rescue. But that's probably the next step to keep it going and to sort of shift away from working with Megan Search and Rescue's dogs to working with with our dogs so that ultimately we we have a supply of trained dogs ready to uh, to go to an owner and I understand that part of the training with the dog does involve the the owner that they're the person that's going to mm-hmm. receive the dog so the last stage of the training is that the person who's going to be getting the dog actually comes and is is trained to work with the dog while the dog's being trained to work with them mm-hmm. so if we have our own dogs uh, within this next year, there's still a, a year or two after that before the dogs are finished and out in the community. Mm-hmm. So we're just we're just moving forward baby steps, but we've got some people started their training. What we might also uh, be looking at as a as a registered charity and as a not for profit, we might be doing some fundraising on our own so that some of the people we work with who might not otherwise be able to afford a dog could get a dog. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's another aspect that we want to look at as we go forward. Mm-hmm. 2018 will be a, a very big year for the John Howard Society of Manitoba. Tell us a little bit about your plans for your 60th anniversary. That's right. Do we look 60? <laughs> and, uh, uh, we have a big party planned and it's on um, February 23rd. Uh, but it's at the West End Cultural Center, 
And um, this isn't like a big fancy gala dinner. We've got two bands and the emphasis is on having fun and it's going to be some great dance music. And we want to invite a lot of our friends and our supporters just to come out and have a really good evening and have some fun and, and help celebrate our 60th birthday. And, and that's quite significant, six decades of work in Winnipeg, working with incarcerated men, and uh, we want to acknowledge it. But we want to acknowledge it in a fun way. And I'm not sure if we'll have any dogs at the party, but we'll, <laughs> we'll certainly have some clients there because, you know, when, when we have a big activity like that, we always try to make sure we include the clients as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we'll be, we'll be having a good time in the West End at the end of February, celebrating celebrating the fact that we've just turned 60. And if people want to learn more about the John Howard Society of Manitoba, uh, where can they go to get more information? We have a web page and uh, John Howard Manitoba. Uh, we can also be reached at 775-1514 and we're at 583 Ellis Avenue at the corner of Ellis and Sherbrooke. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, John Hutton, Executive Director at, at the John Howard Society of Manitoba, and Carmen Villalfort, who is the Coordinator of the Canine Healing Services Program at the John Howard Society of Manitoba, for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks, Robert. Up next, we have RC360's Carolina Stetcher, who attended last week's State of the Inner City event and was able to speak with Jenna Worsh. She is one of the co-founders of the Meet Me at the Bell Tower initiative uh, that takes place in the North End. We're going to hear from them after our next holiday-themed song, which happens to be A Marshmallow World by Dean Martin, right here on RC360. It's a marshmallow world in the winter When the snow comes to cover the ground It's time for play It's a whipped cream day I wait for it to hold you around Those are marshmallow clouds being friendly In the arms of the evergreen trees And the sun is red like a pumpkin head It's shining so your nose won't freeze All oh, the world is your snowball See how it grows That's how it goes Whenever it snows The world is your snowball Just for a song Get out and roll it along Oh, it's a yum, yummy world Made for sweethearts Take a walk with your favorite girl It's a sugar date What if spring is late In winter it's a marshmallow world It's a marshmallow world in the winter When the snow comes to cover the ground It's time for play It's a whipped cream day I wait for the whole year round And the sun is red like a pumpkin head. It's shining so your nose won't freeze. Ah, the world is a snowball. See how it grows. That's how it goes. Whenever it snows, the world is a snowball just for a song. Get out and 
City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. Last week, our very own Carolina Stetcher was able to attend the State of the Inner City event that took place at the Circle of Life Thunderbird House. Excuse me. At the event, Meet Me at the Bell Tower was awarded an award for its wonderful work bringing community together in the north end of the city. Jenna Wersch is one of the co-founders of Meet Me at the Bell Tower, and Carolina was able to sit down with her to discuss what the award meant to her and to the group. Carolina? Today we're at the State of the Inner City rep, uh, Report, uh, sponsored by the CCPA, where the Joe Zukin Memorial Award was uh, given to Meet Me at the Bell Tower. And today I have Jenna with me, who is uh, part of the Meet Me at the Bell Tower um, organizer. And uh, Jenna, I wanted to ask you how you felt about receiving the Joe Zukin Memorial Award today. Um, I feel really honored and I feel super humbled to be able to uh, share this work with all of our community members here in the North End um, and, and take that award on, on their behalf. But um, honestly, it, it, goes, it goes out to them. It goes out to um, Clarkie Stevenson. Um, it goes out to everyone that who, who is not represented here at the table uh, today in, in the Thunderbird House. Um, everyone who, is, who, who was a victim of violence um, I just feel, yeah, super humbled and, and um, very grateful for this Excellent. So what prompted you to get involved with Meet Me at the Bell Tower? Um, actually, I'm the co-founder of Meet Me at the Bell Tower. And uh, um, what had happened is that uh, a bunch of young people came to me after our bro, Clarky Stevenson, died. And he had got stabbed seven times in the North End um, and it was in regards to gang violence and these young people stood up and we created a rally and a vigil for Clarkie and said we need to stop the violence and it needs to happen now and that was six years ago and we have been going for six years straight every single Friday at six o'clock p.m. on Selkirk and Powers. That's great Jenna that's something to be very proud of and I know that Winnipeg's proud of you. Any last uh, comments that you want to make? I just want to say chimigwech, gishimanatu. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks very much, Carolina. And coming up next on River City 360, citizen reporter Armand Martin files this story. Uh, She visited the Franck Parleur Toastmasters group to learn more about how the group helps participants gain confidence in public speaking in both English and French. Nolan, uh, have you ever done any public speaking? What's been your experience Uh, with that? A little bit in school. I took a public speaking course, actually, when I was uh, at Red River, and it really helped me out to just get comfortable in front of a group, even though it's a group of your own peers. But uh, yeah, I'm usually pretty comfortable speaking in front of people. I I get a little bit nervous, but I don't let it uh, hinder my 
my performance that that much anyways how about you um i think i've taken the same class actually well, there you go <laughs> but uh you know sometimes i i sometimes it's you know you can feel a little bit nervous speaking in front of people i totally understand that and sure. uh, i think over time a little bit of practice um i've been able to to lessen some of that anxiety but um you know there's a lot of people that uh you know maybe still uh, have some have some trouble getting up in front of a crowd and uh, and speaking in public. So um, Toastmasters does a really great job of helping people through that. And this happens to be the only one in the province that is both in uh, operated in English and French. It's Very a cool. bilingual club. So uh, we'll find out all about that after our next musical break. And we've got we're going to take you on a sleigh ride with the Ronettes right here on River City 360. Speaking, suddenly I'm someone 
that feeling describes how most people think of public speaking. The mere thought provokes fear that is second only to that of dying or death. Hello, my name is Armand Martin, and I'm talking today with courageous members of the province's only bilingual Toastmasters club, Les Francs Parleurs. And here is one of the club members, Caroline Shaver. I found self-confidence in learning to speak on my feet at Toastmasters, in learning to speak with people who I would normally never have the opportunity to meet in real life. That's what gives you self-confidence, exposure to what is brand new and practice. That's what you get in Toastmasters. Tell me, what is the reason that you joined a bilingual club, French-English? I needed to learn the French language. I've loved it my whole life. I'm an Anglophone. But the French language is flat out beautiful. It's a beautiful language. Porte a bikini string. If you learn to speak one language reasonably well, that other languages can be mastered more easily. At a bilingual club, Francophones can also learn English. My name is Jeanette Caron, and I've been with Toastmaster Franc Parleur for the past uh, six years. I'm from Quebec, moved here in Manitoba in 1999. That means I don't have the chance to practice uh, my English very often. And I said if I prepare speeches and I present my speech in English, then I will have the chance to practice my English. Meet Franc Parleur member Curie Lipischak. I am the current president of Franc Parleur Toastmasters Club for the year 2017-2018. So, Carrie, why this particular Toastmasters Club? Because it is bilingual. We are the only bilingual club in Manitoba at the moment. And the bilingual aspect is what really appealed to me because I do want to improve my French speaking skills. And this is a way to force me to speak at least a little bit of French every week. We are having an open house in January of 2018. January 10th, I believe, is the date. And I'm really looking forward to that. We get to meet some new faces when we have guests visit us. And it's been a fun ride. I'm having so much fun, I believe I am probably here to stay for life. I consider it a challenge before the whole human race. Like the song says, it's a challenge before the whole human race. But you too can feel like a champion, as we do at Franc Parleur. Here's your chance to try it out. Our next open house occurs Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. on January 10th, 2018, situated at Manoir de la Cathédrale at 321 de la Cathédrale. See you there.
Thanks, Armand Martin, citizen reporter here in Winnipeg. We've got time for one less song here, so how about Bing Crosby with Deck the Halls, right here on RC360. Deck the halls with boughs of holly, la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Tis the season to be jolly, la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Don we now our gay apparel, la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Troll the ancient yuletide carol, la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. See the blazing yule before us, la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Strike the harp and join the chorus, la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Follow me in merry measure, la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. While I tell of yuletide treasure, la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And a huge thank you to all of our contributors and all of our guests today. And over the past season as well. And if you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our shows from the past season. Um, or if you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, you can visit our website online. The address is rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback about this week's show or about any of the shows uh, from our past season. Uh, give us a call. We would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a story idea for something that we should cover in 2018. You know of uh, an organization or some people that are doing some good work around the city, an interesting topic that you think our listeners should know about. Give us a call. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. If you would prefer to ch- contact us through Twitter or Facebook, you can do that as well by searching at RiverCity360 on Twitter and RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for 2017. And I'm Robert Zirk also signing off for the third season of River City 360. Thank you again to everyone so much for listening throughout the past year. We appreciate your support. We appreciate the, the kind words that you've sent us. And, well, well, we'll see you next week for our sort of year in review specials. We've got two weeks lined up, some great stories that we're going to be revisiting from 2017. And as far as us uh, bringing you some new stories, we'll see you in 2018. Have a great day, a great weekend, and a great holiday season. Mm